Thank you, Norman. Good afternoon, everybody. It's nice to be here with you again. The resurrection of the dead, then. Hopefully our subject this afternoon isn't going to be too morbid. It can be a bit depressing, can't it, talking about death. Um, But actually, for us, this isn't a depressing subject. It's a subject which gives us a tremendous amount of hope. Now, if I were giving this talk maybe... I don't know, 150 years ago, maybe 200 years ago, um, it would have probably been a slightly controversial title because people back then didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believed, more often than not, in an immortal soul that went to heaven when you die. These days, this talk is probably slightly controversial because proportionally fewer and fewer people are believers in God these days. So to suggest that God or his son will raise people from the dead at some point in future sounds a bit far-fetched to to most people. But that doesn't mean that people these days aren't interested in the idea of life after death. Because people who no longer believe in God are now turning, unsurprisingly, to science in the hope that it can give them a hope of life after death. So I was doing a bit of research on the internet And um, I came across a website um, of a company that offers a service called Cryonics. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, But it was a fascinating website. And what this company do is they basically take people who've just died and freeze them, put them in a big freezer, in the hope that at some point in the future, science will have advanced to a certain point that they're able to... I don't really know what they do. They kind of defrost them and sort of bring them, warm them back up and bring them and bring them back to life. And what I want to do is just read three quotes to you just to give you an idea of what people are, what, well, what this company is offering and what people are willing to do um, in order to have the hope of life after death. Right. So this is from uh, this is from this company. Cryonics is an experimental procedure that preserves a human being using the best available technology for the purpose of saving his or her life. We believe medical technology will advance further in coming decades than it has in the past several centuries, enabling it to heal damage and to restore full physical and mental health. This company seeks to prevent loss of information within the brain that (coughs) encodes memory and personal identity, which is the true boundary between life and death. Cryonics is an effort to save lives by using temperatures so cold that a person beyond help by today's medicine might be preserved for decades or centuries until a future medical technology can restore that person to full health and it goes on and on and on and it it sounds a bit ridiculous doesn't it and even though um, this company refuses to admit it everything they're doing is to try and bring someone back from the dead to raise people from the dead and if you were if you fancy giving that a go you just need to make a payment of two hundred thousand dollars and they will freeze your body so So, for people who no longer believe in God, this is still clearly an important subject. And there are people who do that. They pay that much money, 
Um, some people just have their heads frozen, not their whole bodies, and that's slightly cheaper. Um, <laughs> but it goes to show, doesn't it, that people are still interested in having a hope after they die. That hasn't changed down through the ages. And this afternoon we're going to think about what the Bible teaches. Does the Bible teach us that death is the end? Does it teach us that we go to heaven? What does it tell us about the resurrection of the dead? And I think in order to understand this logically, we first have to think about what the Bible says happens to <coughs> us when we die. And there's, there's no better place to go to really than Genesis chapter 2. And as, as we often find, the answers to some of these um, the questions that we consider on Sunday afternoons and other times, more often than not, are kind of rooted back here in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. So what does the Bible have to say um, happens to us when we die? So Genesis chapter 2 is probably um, a record that you're relatively familiar with, which is it's part of the creation story. Um, and God has created Adam and Eve and he gives them a very clear commandment in verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, that's the Garden of Eden where they were, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So it couldn't be clearer, could it? If you disobey God's commandments, you will die. And what does that actually mean? Well, flick over the page to chapter 3. Um, and we'll read a few verses from verse 17, because Adam and Eve, of course, disobeyed God's commandment, didn't they? And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were commanded not to. And as a result, they were going to bear the punishment. They were going to die. And what does that mean? Verse 17, this is, this is God speaking to Adam. He said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So that is God's definition, I guess, of death. He said in chapter 2, if you disobey me, you'll die. Adam and Eve disobey, and the result is, you will return unto dust. Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Nothing at all in here about any kind of um, immortal soul or kind of living on after that. You've disobeyed my commandments. Um, as a result, you're going to die. And that means you'll return to the dust. Quite, quite straightforward, isn't it? Come with me to Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at two verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and there are, there are loads of verses we could turn to in our scriptures, but there are a couple of 
really nice verses in Ecclesiastes which I think make it clear to us what happens to us after we die. So I'm looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 gives us some, uh, some good information about what happens to us after we die. So let's look at verse, first of all, let's look at verse 5. We read here, the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Couldn't really be clearer, could it, that? The dead know not anything. They don't have any more rewards. So um, when you uh, speak to people and they talk about an immortal soul going to heaven, well, it doesn't quite fit with this verse, does it? it it's, it's contrary to that. This says that there's, not only do they not know anything, they don't have any more reward. Um, the grave is the end. And if you look down to verse 10, there's another verse that probably um, helps as well. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So that backs up just what we've said. After you die, there's nothing. No more knowledge, no more wisdom, etc. Flick back to chapter 3, because Ecclesiastes has a couple more verses that help us with this um, question of what happens to us when we die. Ecclesiastes 3, verse um, 18. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts, even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go unto one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. And that, um, that just reinforces what we're saying, doesn't it? And ties in really nicely with um, what we read in Genesis chapter 3, that man returns to dust and there's nothing um, for us in the grave. Um, let's turn to the Psalms and just look at two more verses, if that's okay. Um, I know I'm labouring this point a bit, but I think it's really important to see what the Bible says happens to us when we die. Psalm 115. And Psalm 115 really kind of helps us with the, um, with the question of whether or not we go to heaven when we die. Um, and there's, there's a couple of verses that I think um, are useful for us. So Psalm 115, let's read verses 16 and 17. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. 
So that's interesting, isn't it? Quite often if you, um, if you talk to pe people who believe that you go to heaven when you die, they would say, well, um, it's uh, a, a paradise, a place where you'll be with God and you can praise him. That's not what this says, is it? These verses say, actually, the heavens are God's, your place is down on earth. And then once you die, you don't praise God, actually. You go down into silence. Right, let's look at one more of these verses. Psalm 146. Just to um, really hammer home this point. Psalm 146, verses 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts or his purposes perish. Um, again, much like the verses that we've read before, just to reiterate, and there are numerous of these verses that we could turn up. After death, there's no knowledge, there are no thoughts, there are no purposes, there's no praising God. Um, death is a return to dust. So to me, these verses that we've looked at, the, sort of, um, the ones in Genesis, the ones in Ecclesiastes, and the ones in Psalms, make it clear to me at least that death is the end of consciousness. Death is the end of life. Um, there's no immortal soul that goes on living after we die. So is death the end? Because actually, I know I said this wasn't going to be a morbid talk. That was quite depressing, wasn't it? Um, if death is the end, then it's a pretty miserable case for us. It's a pr pretty miserable situation. But actually, throughout the Bible, we get a number of different examples of the resurrection of the dead. People whose lives returned after they had died. And I've got a few down, but maybe what we'll do is we'll just look at one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, just to show that God has the power to raise people from the dead and that he's done that in the past, that it's something that he has done. And then we'll come on to think about what he's got planned uh, for a future resurrection. So turn with me to the second book of Kings, chapter four. And I... Apologise that we're jumping into these chapters without context, um, but we'd be here all evening if um, I were to explain the background to each of these stories, um, each of these accounts. But 2 Kings chapter 4 contains the record of a prophet called Elisha. And um, you, you may recall um, in, this, in this account that... Uh, a, a Shunammite woman, a woman from the, a place called Shunam, um, had a son. She had a, a young boy um, as a result of um, the service that she provided to Elisha. Because she was so um, diligent in looking after the Lord's prophet, um, this woman who was barren was given a son. Um, so let's read verse 17 um, down to verse 21. The woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. 
And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. So that couldn't be clearer, could it, really? There was this young lad who, um, who died. He sits on his mother's lap and um, his breath goes out of him and he, and he dies. But that's not the end for this young child. The Shunammite woman, um, as a woman of faith, knows exactly who will be able to help her. She knew exactly that the, the Lord would be able to help her. So she, she summons Elisha, the prophet. Um, let's read verse 32 to verse 35. This is uh, after she's called Elisha to the house. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. So from these few verses that we've looked at, we've clearly seen a young boy who dies is laid on a bed and then following um, Elisha praying to the Lord, the child comes back to life. He sneezes seven times and, uh, and opens his eyes. And then you'll see in the next couple of verses that the woman comes in and, and takes up her son. So from just looking briefly at those few verses, we can see that... Um, there has been an occurrence in the past, and there are a few in the Old Testament, where God has raised people from the dead. He has the power to do that. And Jesus did um, a similar thing. Um, if you come to John chapter 11, let's look at an example of when Jesus raised somebody from the dead. So we've looked at one in the Old Testament. Let's look at one example in the New Testament. Just to, uh, just to prove that that wasn't a, a one-off or that something that was confined to, um, to the, the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ himself, um, through the power of God, raises somebody else to life. And this is the account of um, Lazarus. You might, you might recall uh, Lazarus, Mary and Martha were particular friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lazarus had died. Um, and uh, word, comes to, word comes to Jesus. Um, and they decide that they're going to go and, and uh, visit uh, Lazarus and Mary and, and Martha. So let's read John chapter 11, verse 11 to 15. These things said Jesus, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I might, may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. 
Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So Jesus there telling his disciples, um, Lazarus, uh, my friend, is dead. And so he arrives at the house, um, well, at the place where, where Mary and Martha were, uh, Lazarus's sisters. And um, they, actually go to the, they actually go to the grave. Let's read verse, from verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. So this is Lazarus's grave now. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. So there is another example of the resurrection of somebody who was clearly dead. And in fact, this man had been dead four days. And uh, Martha, Lazarus's sister, was getting concerned that actually after four days, uh, the dead body would start to, start to decompose. But Jesus, through the power of God, was able to raise this man from the dead. And there are other examples in the New Testament which we, we won't think about, but um, the, the, there are, there are a, a few of these. And these passages, I think, clearly show that death is not necessarily the end for people. Um, in the past, people like Lazarus, people like um, the Shunammite son back in Kings, have been brought back to life. And these actually, these, um, these uh, things that we've looked at, Actually, also, I think they certainly helped me to disprove the teaching of an immortal soul. Um, surely, in each of these instances, if the person's soul was in heaven with God, in, you know, in paradise, um, Jesus or Elisha would have said, it's okay, they're in a, they're in a better place. You know, we don't, why do we want to bring them back to this world of suffering and pain? And you can imagine, if you were um, Lazarus, say... And you've made it through your life and you've gone to heaven and you're in paradise and um, someone brings you back down and puts you back in your body to go through it all again. You think, well, I was in heaven, you know, why am I back down here on earth? So actually, to me, it sort of helps disprove the teaching of an immortal soul. So we've seen a couple of people raised from the dead um, and, and there are a few throughout throughout scripture. But what about everybody else who's died? What about us? What about you and me? What hope do we have? Well, I believe that God has a much bigger resurrection of the dead planned. And these accounts that we read um, 
are almost just a foreshadowing of the things to come. Um, a, a much bigger resurrection of the dead, not just of one or two here and there, but of uh, many people. Let's look at... Um, well, I think, I think this is quite a good proof of it. Um, come back to Genesis chapter 13. Now we've jumped back in time to Abraham's day. Uh, Abraham, uh, the father of, um, I guess, the nation, the nation of Israel, ultimately, um, who God made promises to. And um, we're just going to look at some of the promises, actually, that God made to Abraham. Because what we're going to see is, certainly one of the promises um, that's been made to him hasn't actually been fulfilled yet, hasn't actually been kept. So let's read Genesis 13, verse 14 to verse 17. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, etc., etc. Verse 17, Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Couldn't really be a clearer promise, could it? Abraham looked out on this land and God said, I'm going to give you that land. Now, did Abraham receive that land in his lifetime? Well, we know that he didn't, don't we? Um, it's up to you if you want to turn there, but I will read to you from Acts chapter 7, which is a commentary on, um, on this very point. Um, Acts chapter 7, and I'll just read to you two verses. Then came Abraham out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye, the Jews, now dwell. And God gave him non-inheritance in it. He didn't inherit it. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet, God promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him. So, putting those two records together, we learn that although God promised Abraham this land... He didn't actually receive it. So how is God going to um, make amends for that? How is he going to rectify this? He has to keep his promise, doesn't he? Well, surely, surely the only way in which the promise can be kept to Abraham for him to inherit that land is that he might be re revived from the dead, that he might be raised from the dead. You know, Abraham is long dead and buried. We've learned from the verses that we've looked at at the start that there's no conscious, so he's certainly not inherited it now. There has to be a resurrection in order for Abraham to have any hope of inheriting that land. And is this a hope that's just confined to Abraham? Is the, or is there any hope for you and me? Is there any hope for us to be part of this resurrection? Well, there is. We learn in Daniel chapter 12, 
up to you if you want to turn there. I'll just read out two verses. Um, actually, I'll just read out one verse. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So we're starting to learn um, of a resurrection that will involve many people. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Let's go to the reading that we had to introduce our talk. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because this is the chapter, you know, um, as Norman said, where um, we learn so much about the future resurrection that God has planned. We learn a tremendous amount from these verses. Particularly, I mean, I particularly want to focus, and we won't read them again, but from verse 12 to 22. You know, there's a wonderful section there that says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then it's all hopeless. You know, we might as well just pack up and go home now and, um, you know, go about our daily lives. The verses I want to focus on are verse 20 and 21. So the verses before have said, you know, if if there isn't a resurrection, we're the most miserable of all men. What are we doing here on a Sunday afternoon thinking about these things? Actually, verse 20, now is Christ risen from the dead and become, and this is the phrase that I want to look at, the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And that word first fruits is very interesting. Where do you normally hear about first fruits? Well, it's normally in the context of a harvest, isn't it? Particularly in scripture. The first fruits were part that was given to God. So you take your harvest, you take the first fruits, you take a, a portion, the first bit of harvest, and that was given to God. But there was much more to come. That was just a small part of what was yet to come. And it's the same here. In other words, if Jesus is the first fruits, there's more, there's more resurrection of the dead to come. Those who are fallen asleep in him, verse 18. Um, and verse 22 really kind of backs that up. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So by putting together Genesis Daniel, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we can see that there is a resurrection plan for the future. And this is hugely important. Because earlier on, we, we kind of decided, didn't we, that when you're dead, you know nothing. All your consciousness disappears. This hope of a future resurrection is absolutely key. Without it, we have no hope. And these verses here, um, which talk of the resurrection, give us hope. And um, we, we won't dwell on it particularly, but it's nice, nice is maybe not the right word, that the description of death is asleep. You know, to me, that gives me an awful lot of comfort. Um, and perhaps for those of us who have lost loved ones, that's a comfort as well. These people are just asleep, obviously not literally asleep, but that's what it's like to God. That's what it's, that's what it's like to... Uh, to God, that's how easy it is for God to bring these people back, just like waking people out of sleep. Granted, some people are easier to wake up in the mornings than others, but, you know, 
uh, it's that simple for God, um, you know, just waking people, waking people up. When are these things going to happen? Uh, we won't go into a huge amount of detail because um, the, our, time is, our time is nearly up. But the Bible clearly teaches of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. And that is when we expect this resurrection to take place. So if, you, um, if you're interested, flick over to 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4. Uh, just a, a couple of books on from Corinthians. And this kind of, I think, reiterates the point that um, the resurrection of the dead will um, happen when Jesus returns to the earth. So 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, um, read verse 13 and 14. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them... Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we learn there that at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when this great resurrection um, will take place. Um, let me just uh, get my, catch up with myself. Sorry. So, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. So, what do we need to do in order to have a hope of resurrection? We've read there, haven't we, that the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? How do we become in Christ? Well, it's a, it's probably a different subject, but you'll 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 be familiar with verses uh, like John 3 verse 16 um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life Mark 16 verse 16 he that believes and is baptized shall be saved Romans 6 verse 23 the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is everlasting life so from those verses, and we can talk about them afterwards if you'd like, we learn that belief and baptism are key to have hope of the resurrection. Let's just close by going back to 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry, I should maybe not have taken you from there. And, um, and let's just think about what awaits us after this resurrection. Because I think that's really important for us to consider. Um, because what we're looking forward to is eternal life, a resurrection and eternal life, but not in a world like the one that we currently inhabit with all its problems and its issues. This will be um, a world perfected. So 1 Corinthians 15, and let's just read from verse 22 as we draw our thoughts to a close now. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, 
when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Then, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Verse 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So from there we learn there'll be a world without death. We learn that all Christ's enemies will be destroyed. And we learn that God will be all in all. And there are other verses that you can look at in Revelation 21, um, which talk about the incredible hope that we have um, of dwelling with, with God forever in a, in a perfect world after the resurrection. So hopefully this, this afternoon we've seen that, we've seen a number of things. Hopefully we've seen that the Bible teaches when we die, we know more. We, we know nothing. We've learned that there's no such thing as an immortal soul. We've learned that God's power has raised people from the dead in the past. And Jesus will raise people from the dead. He'll wake them out of sleep um, when he returns to the earth. We've learned that in order to have a hope of resurrection... We need to believe and be baptised. And finally, we've learned that after the resurrection, those who are found faithful will be given a place in God's kingdom and granted eternal life to dwell with him forever. At the start of the talk, I spoke about this company who, for a large amount of money, um, will freeze your body in the hope that medical science advances far enough that the dying process can be reversed and you can be brought back to life. The Bible teaches a far simpler way to receive resurrection from the dead. And all God requires from us is belief and baptism.